0: Father, we come before you this morning and we ask that you would take each part of this service, be honored and glorified in it. Lord, we ask that each one of us here would understand that you want to uh, have us to worship you, not only on Sundays, but each and every day of the week, that you want our bodies to be that sanctuary. And certainly when we assemble together as a church, you want to be in the midst of us the object of all that we think or do, Lord, we ask that you would be worshipped this morning in each life here. In your name we pray. Amen. Please remain standing for the next hymn. If you would, and let's go to the book of Philippians this morning. The title for this morning's message is It Is God. And we get that out of Philippians chapter 2. And verse 13, for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Now, as always, when we assemble together, we come together for the preaching of the word of God to study, to learn, to be encouraged. But the only place you study and learn about the Bible should not be in church. Uh, several years ago, there was an uh, article in a periodical that I used to subscribe to. I, I don't, because, and one of the main reasons is this one right here. The editor had written an entire article of how a radical new fad was approaching Christianity that Christians wanted to understand the Bible for themselves. Now, if that strikes you as kind of strange, it ought to, uh, because the Bible has always been for that purpose. God has always wanted every believer to be able to read the Bible and understand what it says. Of course, there is this thing called a preacher and a church, and someone says, but pastor, I can't understand the Bible like you do. Well, uh, I've spent my entire adult life if, if I weren't a little better at it than most of you, something would be wrong with me now, wouldn't it? Uh, but the simple truth is God has called some to be preachers, and we need the preaching of God's word. In fact, that's what we do every Sunday morning, Sunday night, Thursday night. Uh, even in our Sunday school time, it is trying to preach and teach God's word because this is all that he gave us. And I love that song. Sin kept me from this book, now it keeps me from sin. Amen. And the simple truth is, it is man that has come up with this idea that only a select few can understand the Bible. And uh, uh, I hate to put it this way, but it's just the way it is. If you had to have me to help you understand the Bible, then I'd be pretty important now, wouldn't I? Let me ask you, who's important? Jesus is, isn't he? We got to get man out of the picture. But Jesus used men. Yes, he did. He used many great men, over 40 men were used in nearly 2,000 years of history to give us what is called the scripture, what we have as our Bible today. And yet not one of those men said, look to me. Every one of them said, look to God, look to Jesus, look to the creator of this world. And Paul is the writer of the book of Philippians The city of Philippi, still there today, a city in Macedonia, and in that city there was a church, and that church was having some problems. There were some struggles there, and Paul was writing this letter to the church at Philippi, hence the title, the Philippians, to the individuals there at Philippi, to this church that they would operate in the way that God had designed for them to operate. And of course, it was much more difficult for them than it would be for you and I because they didn't have the Bible like we do. In fact, this letter Paul of Paul to the Philippians was meant to be part of our Bible. And we're going to look at that And verse 13, chapter 2, I want to read that again. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Now, the easiest thing in the world when you're trying to understand the Bible and really learn from it is to grab one verse, yank it out, and make it say what you want it to say. Now, not only is that the easiest thing to do, it's the most dangerous thing to do. Because what happens? You become the God of the Bible instead of the Bible being God's message to you. You become the authority because you get to pick and choose. And this is one of the reasons why... Uh, We're not going to spend a lot of time this morning, just a sentence or two, but one of the reasons why we use only the old King James Bible in our services, because we do not want a Bible that's been picked over by the scholars. Uh, Have you ever wondered about true scholarship? You see, true scholarship makes something difficult easier to understand without taking away the substance. That is the essence of true scholarship. What we have going on for scholarship today is someone taking something that's very simple and making it so complex that you worship the scholar for his great wisdom and intelligence. Now, I hope you can see that those two things are exact opposites. We're not here to impress. I am not here to impress you with my intelligence. That would take all of about five seconds and we'd be done. But what I can do is try to impress you with God's word. And that could last for all eternity. As we try to understand the word, it is God which worketh In you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Now, if you didn't keep that verse in context, you could make it say just about anything you wanted. But what we want to do is go back in a few minutes, get the context of this verse get the surrounding passages, and then we're going to just dig in. And And my hope and my prayer is that we're going to understand one verse today better than we did when we got here. And if you already understand the message of this verse, that you will be encouraged to live it. Because let me tell you, it is a daily thing that ought to be part of every day, now and until eternity. If we're going to obey the word of God, this is one of those wonderful summary verses. It is God, for it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Now, go back with me to chapter 1. And by the way, Do not allow the chapter divisions uh, to be your scriptural divisions. The thoughts and things do of the scriptures do not rest upon the chapter and verse. uh, Those are just reference points. Uh, But we go back to chapter one because it's—I mean, chapter two because it's an easy place here. It says, "If there therefore be any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love." If any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels of mercies, bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Now, in order to understand this, we go back farther in the book, and verse 30 of chapter 1 says, having the same conflict which ye saw in me, and now to hear in me, there's There's always going to be a struggle in the Christian life. Paul is pleading with the Philippians. He's saying, if there's any consolation in Christ, if there's this love that we talk about, the comfort of love, the fellowship of the Spirit. Now, when it speaks of, if any, bowels and mercies, how many of you know what that word bowels actually means? I mean, it it is not one of the more pleasant words in the English language. Uh, But it just simply means, I love you with my inside. Uh, If you wanted the vernacular, your bowels are your guts. Uh, That's the part that nobody likes to really think about. But you can't get along without them, amen? Amen. Uh, They're kind of important. And when you say you love somebody with your heart, you're not talking about that little thing, a little larger than your fist that goes bump, 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 all those times. You're talking about your innermost being. And that word bows is saying, I love you with everything that's inside of me. And he's saying, listen, if there's, consolation of Christ, if there's the fact that Christ has loved us and done great things for us, if there is comfort in knowing that the God of heaven cares about me as an individual, if there is comfort in the fellowship that we share in the Holy Spirit of Christ, if there is love and compassion from one believer to another, if there's mercies that we receive one from another and from God above. He says, Fulfill my joy. He says, I want you to make me happy. I want you to give me an understanding of these things that we work together in the church. This was the plea. And if you want unity today, is that not declaring call today? Uh, Did it work for the uh, Occupy Wall Street group yet? Have they come up with a a single item that they agree on yet? Except for the fact that they want to protest. Now that they agree on. But anything else? And we go to church meetings, quote unquote, not the kind we go to or I go to, but they want to bring all the denominations together and we're supposed to all agree. Well, let me ask you a question. They used to fight wars with each other. I mean, literal sword, blood on the ground, bodies in the grave kind of wars. And now we're all supposed to just sit in a circle and love each other. You know what you have to do to do that? You have to stop believing the things that you believed. Now, there's a lot of people willing to do that, but I'm telling you this morning that if you believe the things that are in this book, you're not going to go out and want to kill anybody, period. No one believing what is in this book, and we're talking about the New Testament believer. Yes, there were wars that had to be fought in your Bible. We don't have time to solve all of those issues and delve into those things, but... Israel was also a physical nation as well as a spiritual people. Do not confuse what has to go on to maintain a physical government with what goes on to maintain a spiritual relationship with God. It was Jesus that said, if my kingdom were of this world, then would we fight for it? But my kingdom's not from thence. Don't worry about it, Pilate. You don't have to worry about any swords on my side. By the way, when Jesus does rule this earth, there's only going to be one sword in his arsenal. Read the book of Revelation, or come on Thursday night. We're ready for chapter uh, lesson 17 and uh, or 18, actually, and we're almost ready to finish the third chapter. Uh, that's chapter 19, so give us about a year. We'll get there, all right? But uh, we're, we, when Jesus comes, when Jesus actually rules this world, there's only going to be one sword, and it's going to be the one that goes out of his mouth. It's going to be his spoken word. By the way, you and I are never told to wield the sword of the Spirit in offense. That's God's job. We are to use that sword to understand the difference between truth and error. And that is the basis of real unity inside God's church. This feigned unity, and the word feigned means fake. This fake unity that is offered today for the cause of Christ is nothing more than a dumbing down, a watering down, an outright denial of the truths that are in this book. People who believe them, we do not fight for them with physical swords. God's people never have. But when the Roman Empire fell, who was still there? People that believe in this book. When the change of the Roman Catholic Tyranny of the Middle Ages was finally broken and people had freedom to worship God who was still there. People who believe this book. And by the way, God's people didn't raise armies. That was for the Catholics and the Protestants. They fought a war called the Hundred Years' War. But the Baptists weren't part of that. Because we were working on having the unity that Christ wants us to have in our church in obedience to His word. And if we'll go on down through here, that unity comes. Verse 3: Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind. Let each other, let each esteem others better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Does that sound kind of like love your neighbor as yourself? Uh, I think it was intended to. Verse 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Have you ever met anybody and you just said, boy, you and I are of the same mind. We just think alike. You know what? You have unity with a person like that. Now, don't you? Now, if the mind of Christ is in you and the mind of Christ is in me, guess what? We're going to have unity whether we want to or not. You don't have a choice. Have you ever done anything that you didn't make a decision in your mind to do first? Oh, yes, I do that all the time. I just don't think. Wrong. Your arm does not move unless the brain tells it to move. Now, you may be in neutral, just letting your mind do whatever it was, but you're still thinking about those things. And this is why in the picture of what the church is supposed to be, Christ is the head. Every command comes from the brain, through the body. It's an amazing network. Somebody tried to figure out how long, if, if we took the nervous system, the network of nerves out of the human body and stretched it out, it was, it was some unbelievable amount. It would cross the, uh, the uh, uh, Atlantic Ocean, may go halfway around the world. And yet, that network is contained in your body. It's controlled by your brain. Whether you use it or not, that's your choice. But things are happening. And Paul is telling the Philippians, I want this mind which was in Christ Jesus to be in you. Do you think that would bring unity in the church at Philippi? Uh, Let me tell you, it would. It would bring agreement in what is going on. And it tells us of the condescension, the example of Christ, who was the very God of gods, the creator of the universe. Somebody says, well, how, how does that work? I don't know. I just know that the Bible says God spake. It became. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit of God in Genesis chapter 1 hovered over the face of the deep. And yet in John chapter 1 it says, And without him was not anything made that was made. In Revelation it says that he is the beginning of the creation of God. Our Jehovah's sickness, I mean witness uh, friends, they, they're they not really friends, but uh, they like that verse. They say, See there, Jesus was the first created thing. No! The beginning of the creation of God, God, creation began from Him. That's what those words mean. He is the source of creation. And yet He took upon Him human flesh. How many of you think you could speak on the limitations of human flesh? You've had to take... Tylenol or ibuprofen or some of those painkillers during this week because your human flesh said, I'm not cooperating with that endeavor. Uh, You're going to have to help me out a little bit. How many of you woke up in the morning and your flesh said, I'm going back to bed? And you said, oh, no, you're not. You're going to get up. And you had to fight that battle. How many of you have been hungry? And I don't mean deprived of food and starving uh, but that old body, I mean it just gets hungry. It doesn't matter how good a meal you eat at breakfast. you're hungry in the middle of the day. Does anybody else's body look work like that, or am I the only one? Uh, I mean, we just have limitations in human flesh, do we not? And yet when the God of glory, the creator, veiled himself in human flesh, he took upon him all of its frailties and shortcomings. How many of you have ever actually slept outside on the cold, hard ground with only like a little blanket or something to wrap yourself in? Anybody ever done that? You wake up just feeling refreshed. At, well, you hurt in places you didn't even know you had. Jesus did that regularly with nothing but his outward cloak. He and his disciples were human beings. He had to stretch out them old tendons and, and, and relieve those sore spots just like you do. This was the mind that was in Christ. It says, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in the fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Someone said, How did God die? If Jesus is truly God, how did he die? It's very simple. He made himself in the fashion of a man. And being found in the fashion of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to something every one of us in this room will face, and that is death. But being God, he rose again. That's why in verse 9 it says, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name, which is above every name. And by the way, if you have any questions, right here is one of the passages that's most often skipped over. When we talk about the deity or the godness of Jesus Christ, you see, if there were a difference between God and Jesus Christ, it would say, and he hath given him a name which is above every other name. Because when he says, I've given him a name which is above every name, he is including his own name in there, and you can't have a name above God. How many of you got that first time you read that passage? You see... That's why God gives us time like we have here to examine. Now, we're still in the introduction. We'll get to the sermon here in a few minutes, okay? But we got to set the context because if we don't know what this mind that was in Christ Jesus, if Paul says he wants to be in yourself, we'll never understand what verse 13 is actually talking about. Because that's the context. It's talking about service in the church. That all these wonderful things that Jesus has given us ought to be lived out. But if we're going to live them out, we're going to have to stop looking at ourselves and start looking to others. We're going to have to let this mind be in us, which was in Christ Jesus. God has highly exalted him. Verse 10 that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's why we worship Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible says. We glorify the Father by worshiping the Son. Now, verse 12, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, this is the end of the context that we're going to look at before we get into the verse that is in question. But, He is telling them to work out their own personal salvation with fear and trembling. I don't know about you, but the first thought that comes into my mind is let's make a deal. Uh, You can negotiate anything. Anybody have to take that course? Uh, I mean, uh, that's not what the Bible is talking about here. The terms of salvation... We're finished in the mind of God before he said, let there be light. What he's talking about is making your salvation work. How many of you have ever had the privilege of getting a new car? Isn't that a wonderful thing? And I don't mean brand new, I mean new to you. You get that thing, you get the keys, and before you buy it, you look it over, especially if it's used, you want to you wanna really make sure you check that thing out. But you really don't know until you sign your name on the dotted line, take it home and start driving it. Or if you live right close, learning how to parallel park the thing, amen? Amen. I mean, there are some vehicles that are just easy to parallel park. And then there are some that are not. But that's how it works. There are people that buy cars, usually of the exotic and very expensive genre, and they leave it set in a garage. That's not working it out. That's just leaving it, and sit there, because you're afraid somebody's going to scratch it. I remember visiting in Florida many years ago. I had the opportunity to do a little fishing, and as we were walking to the boat, the guy said, see that boat right there? I said, yeah. He said, that's $500,000. He said, it's been out of the slip twice in the last four years. What a waste. If you're going to have a boat, you need to work it out. Get it out on them waters and do things. That's why most Christians don't own one. Because the best day to do that is Sunday. And then you'd skip church and disobey God. You wonder why God hasn't given you one? He doesn't want you disobeying. Amen? Uh, I mean, the whole thing is you got to work that thing out if you're going to have it. And this is what he's saying. If you have salvation, what's it doing? What is your salvation doing in your life? How does it work? I don't know if you're like I am. My son, Stephen, you get something. Doesn't matter whether it's brand new or not. What's the first thing you got to do? Take it apart. Because it doesn't work right until you know what's inside. Isn't that true? Somebody said, well, I'll be content just to let it work without taking it apart first. The fun is getting it back together. But the simple truth of the matter is, Paul is saying, listen, beloved, when I came there to the city of Philippi, remember he had endured a horrible beating at the hands of the uh, magistrates, been put in prison, God opened the prison, brought out Paul went to Lydia's house and they continued teaching and preaching establishing this church here in Philippi. And Paul said, listen, you've obeyed the preaching that I brought to you from Jesus Christ, not only when I was there, but also when I was gone. And now what I want you to do is I want you to take that salvation that God has given you and I want you to work it. I want you to see what it will do in your life. Amen. Now we get to the verse we want to look at. For it is God. How many of you've tried to work your salvation with your own effort? How many of you've tried to do something pleasing to God that you say, "God, if you if you'll just let me do this for you, I Uh, I'll, I'll be pleased. And God always thwarts those efforts. Because it's not you that works. It's God that works. And if you can do it, God doesn't want it. Because it is God which worketh in you. It is God. I've often asked this question, I get the same blank stare every time I ask it. What did you do this week that only God could have done through you? Silence is deafening, isn't it? We don't think that way. We're not conditioned to think that way. Most of us in this room have been influenced by false religion before we came here to this church. And false religion, the essence of all false religion, is based on what you can do to please God, or in some religions, become a God. Of course, that in itself, trying to become a God has to be little g, little o, little d, because there are many gods in that sense. But there is only one God, capital G-O-D. There can only be one supreme being by definition. There can only be one God. To believe in any more than that is just illogical and, of course, against the scriptures. But... If you repeat a lie long enough, people believe it. Isn't that true? If you repeat a lie long enough, people believe it. And for centuries, ever since before this passage was written, people have been saying you need to do things to earn favor with God. And we've been conditioned by it. You listen to Joel Osteen, some of those guys. You see, it is God who does the work, but he fulfills the desires that are within you. Well, last time I read in my Bible, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Get your eyes off of what's on the inside and get your eyes on God who is on the outside Get your eyes off the creation and put them on the creator. Amen. Because if God is going to do anything in your life, it's he is the one that's going to do it. How many of you could say, amen, Jesus has saved me. I know I'm saved. Amen. Amen. Isn't that a wonderful thought? Who did all the work? God did. Jesus did. Jesus was talking to Nicodemus. I, I love the picture here. He said, Nicodemus, you've got to be born again. Nicodemus is saying, well, wait a minute. I'm a little big for that. I'm a little old for that. Uh, i got to become a baby and get born all over again. And Jesus is very simple and very clear. He said, you've been born physically. You've been born of water. You must be born spiritually. Of the spirit. Who did all the work when you were born physically? Ladies, help me out. Mama did. How many mamas do we have here today? Uh, You know about all that work. God designed it that way so we could understand a little bit more about what he wants to do in saving us. Amen. There's never been a baby that's given its mother assistance in childbirth. Doesn't happen. There's never been a soul that's given God assistance in the new birth. Doesn't happen. So we get saved and it's all of God and we understand that and we say amen and hallelujah and praise the Lord and then comes tomorrow where our salvation has got to work and whose responsibility is it? Mine, wrong, for it is God which worketh in you. If you could depend on God to help you through tomorrow like you did the moment you asked him to save you and he saved you, would tomorrow be a better day? Absolutely, my friend. That's what this verse is talking about. You see, if anything is going to get done in my Christian life, it's good. If anything is going to happen that's going to be my salvation actually working, it is going to be tapping into or getting connected with that power and ability that comes from God. That's how I got saved. But as many as received him... To them gave he what? Power. To become. You can't become something you already is. Amen? You must become something you are not. To become sons of God. Even to them that believe on his name. So, when you believed. God connected you to that power, and all that Jesus did was transferred to your account, and you were born spiritually into his family. Amen? Amen. Now, when I go to work tomorrow, not me, I have a wonderful place I work. It's called the church. Uh, When you go to work tomorrow and you have to face untoward circumstances and frustrating people and all kinds of horrible things. You've got to go right back and get that power that saved you to make you live. That's how it works. That's how your salvation works. And it said to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That, that means that when we approach to the mighty God, that we ought to be just a little careful in how we do that. It's not, God, give me a brand new Cadillac. I need one. Who wants one anyway? Somebody's just going to scratch it and you'll feel bad about it. and, And if you can afford the insurance, be my guest. It's crazy what people think that God ought to give them when he's already offered us eternal life. What more could you want? except to prepare to live with Him in heaven. That's what working your salvation out with fear and trembling is all about. But this verse goes on. Verse 13. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. Now, I'll tell you, my part of me just wants to go to that last phrase of his good pleasure and explain what that is. But let's, let's just keep it in biblical order here and deal with this both thing. Both to will and to do. How many of you have ever wanted to do something and couldn't get it right? How many of you have ever done something because it was right, but you didn't want to do it? Sounds like life, doesn't it? The things we get done, we don't like. The things that we really want to do, we never get them done. Isn't that true? And it's a struggle that goes back and forth. Here it says, for it is God which worketh in you both to will. Now this idea of having a will is your personal choice is making decisions that aren't godly decisions. Now, this is a very poor example. But if we had a big old plate of steamed spinach, no additives right here on one plate, just steamed spinach... And on the other side, we had a big old nice piece of red meat sopping in juice and grease and potatoes and sour cream and, and uh, fresh butter on top and all that other stuff. How many are you going for the spinach? Now, don't lie. The best answer is both, Amen. But what's on that other plate certainly is not as good for you as what's on the first plate now, isn't it? Someone said, how do you get your kids to like vegetables? Well, that's real simple. You don't give them a choice. Amen? They know they got to eat that stuff before they get to the good stuff. But the good stuff isn't near as good for you as it ought to be now, is it? You see, the world is full of temptations which draws our desires away from Jesus Christ. Don't raise your hand. How many of you would rather be in bed asleep right now than be here in church? Now, don't raise your hand. Don't discourage the preacher, all right? But our body has desires. Temptation is the desire or the want to do something that is wrong, that is against God's word. And what happens to most of us as we fight temptation, we say, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to, I, I, I really don't, um um well, hello there. Isn't that how we work it? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not... What's the next word? you got to get that wanter fixed. That's your will. How do I get it fixed? Uh, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Oh. Um. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling? When is the last time you had any fear and trembling when you thought about approaching to God? I I wish I could bring a whole series on that. Because I know in my heart, That's not where it ought to be. And if I'm struggling with it, I know there are people in the pews that are struggling with it. We don't fear the Lord. We've gotten so used to his forgiveness that we go do what we want and then we come back to him and say, God, forgive me. Let let me live for you this week until I want to do something bad again. That's not what the Bible's talking about here. That's not God working. You see, if God works, he changes your will. Don't raise your hands, but how many of you used to, oh, that Bible's just a hard book, I can't pay any attention to it. Then you got saved. Then you started hearing the preaching of the word and you said, man, I got to read a little Bible. I've got to hear something during the week. It's it's just more than on Sundays. I need to get into that book called the Bible. Let me tell you, that's the power of God giving you the will to do what is right. But you've got to say yes to that will and go to the next step and get it done. Amen. Uh, There are some things that have to go on in your life. There are some decisions that you have to make to allow God's word and his power to flow through your life and get these things done that God wants you to do. You know what? It's hard to love your enemies. But Jesus loved us while we were still in full rebellion against him. Why can't we let this mind be also in you which let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus? That's why it's so important to get the context here. Now your desires one of the most misquoted verses in the Bible, delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. God, you know what I want. But I'll go to church on Sunday if you'll give it to me. That's not what the verse is talking about. It's just like when you got saved, you had to come to the end of yourself and to the end of everything and call upon God in His mercy and He saved you. Amen? Okay? If you're going to live for Christ, you've got to do the same thing. That's why Jesus said, pick up your cross daily. Daily. And follow me, God will change your will. He will give you the desire to do what is right. And then he'll give you the ability to do what is right. Doing the right things for the wrong reasons is not going to float with God. Just because you do the right things on the outside doesn't mean that God is pleased. And just because you feel the right things on the inside and don't do the right things on the outside, do you think God's any less displeased with you? Wrong. You got to have both for it to be real. How many of you remember those silly little letters? I like you, you like me. Circle one, yes, no, maybe. But it's not signed. Why? Because you'd be embarrassed if they knew. It doesn't work in grade school. And it doesn't work with God either. There's got to be both a will and a do. Or it doesn't count for God. Now this last phrase, I could spend the whole morning on this last phrase. Of his good pleasure. Of his good pleasure. This is where the will and the do are checked. You see, it's not that God just wants to will and do what you want Him to do. It's God wants you to will and do what He wants you to do. And how do we know what He wants you to do? We have to find out what God's good pleasure is. Now, the idea of pleasure in our modern day society and in uh, 21st century English, has very negative and dirty connotations. At best, it means sneaking by the da- bakery and getting that third cannoli that your doctor doesn't know about. That's not the pleasure that's being talked about here. You want let the Bible define itself. Go back and read Genesis chapter 1. And God saw that it was what? Good. Um, You see, the word pleasure comes from the word please. When God looked at his creation and saw that it was good, was he not pleased? Was God pleased when Adam and Eve sinned? No, because it ruined his creation. Why does God hate sin? Because it brings forth what? Death. Why is God pleased with obedience? Because it brings forth life. How do I know that I love the children of God? How do I know that I love other people? By obeying God. That's his good pleasure. His good pleasure comes from God as God can only want what is most wholesome and what is absolutely best, not only in the life of that individual, but on his entire community surrounding him. This idea of God's good pleasure, let's go to Hebrews chapter 11, for he that cometh to God must believe that he what? Is And that He is the rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. If we were to just put that verse in its simplest point, number one, you must believe that God exists. Number two, you must believe that He is good, that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. God's goodness and God's pleasure are one in the same. God wants you and I to enjoy... The best that he has for us. If you were able to truly love your neighbor as yourself, do you think you would enjoy life or hate life? If every person were to love their neighbor as their self, we wouldn't need John Lennon's stupid song, Imagine, now would we? Everybody knows that silly song. My kids don't because they never heard it. Never will by God's grace unless they're walking through the mall and they play it or something. But that's the best that man can do is imagine a world where everybody loves everybody. Well, we're all. How about we have this mind which was also in Christ Jesus? where we can truly love one another, not based upon what they do for me, but based upon what Jesus has done for us all. That we, in unity, work together to accomplish the things that God has called us to accomplish. You see, because it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do, of his good pleasure. Revelation chapter 4 says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. You see, God isn't trying just to please himself in the sense of you and I pleasing ourselves. You see, when God pleases himself, and we're involved in that, who is the beneficiary? We are. We are the immense beneficiaries of God's good pleasure. The problem is, I don't necessarily want to do those things. Uh, well, now I've got to go back to God and let him work the will. I don't go over here and try to accomplish the do until I've received the will. You say, well, God just never has dealt with me about that thing. I've had people say that. God just never dealt with me about passing out tracts and telling other people about Jesus. Well, wait a minute. Did you ever ask him? Uh, There are several passages in the Bible that tell you exactly what God says. Go ye, uh, and ye shall be witnesses of me. I mean, there's this whole book called the Bible was about going, amen. It's getting the message from God and taking it to those who don't have it. Say, well, God's never really dealt with me about my TV. I know you're against that stuff, preacher. You're just against everything. Amen. (laughs) I'm against everything except getting his power to want what he wants and to do what he wants to do. Because then I can know that it is God that is working in my life and not me. Most of us are not without some ability. Meaning that we can accomplish some things. We can do some things. How do I know that the things that I do are of God and not of me? I got to go back to that good pleasure thing. Does it fit in the realm of God's good pleasure? If I check out there, then I got to find out the reasons why I did it. Did I do it so other people would look at me and say, wow, you're really good at that. Well, if that's the reason why I did it, not His will, even if I did the right thing. I got to get His will, His due, and His pleasure. I got to put those things in line. And then I can know that it is God that's doing the work and not me. How many of us need to get out pencil and paper and check a few things this week? Get out the scriptures. Examine what we're doing. For it is God which worketh in us. Both God have both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Let's have every head bowed, every eye closed. Dear Heavenly Father, as we come before you this morning, we understand that this was not what we would call a light sermon. We made a lot of connections all through the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation they all have to do with your goodness your power your pleasure and Lord where we fit into those things my first object of prayer this morning at the end of the preaching time is for those that sit among us and have not settled the issue of their own salvation. Lord, that they'd be willing to believe that you are and that you are good and that you are only good. That you allowed Jesus to suffer in our place that we might be set free from the bondage of sin. That you died and rose again. And Lord, that they would submit themselves to you and call for your mercy to save them. Our second point of prayer is for those who are saved and they've not yet been baptized or become members of the church, that you would put within their heart obedience to these parts of your word, that they would become part of us, that we may serve you together until you come. Lord, the last point we make is for those that have been obedient to your word and yet as we are all living in this wicked world, we will struggle with these things, that you would use this sermon to encourage more obedience, more surrender. Lord, to let you work the will and the do. And let us constantly measure by your pleasure, your good pleasure, we ask that during the invitation time you would have your way in each life here present. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. Have Brother Franz come. And-